The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <coughs> so, so, good evening. And I think that uh, this is a little, should be probably a little louder, shouldn't it? So how's it now? Is this a good volume? Good. Okay. So as maybe some of you know, many of you know, that I'm doing a series now of talks on um, the classic teachings, on Buddhist teachings on mindfulness it's from a particular disc- discourse, a text, that is called, uh, usually it's in English, it's called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And uh, the first of the foundations, the first of the ways in which we establish this very strong mind- awareness that we call mindfulness, um, is on the body. And um, the, uh, the word for body is kaya. And uh, it, the text opens up with uh, talking about in order to establish this strong, heightened sense of awareness, uh, we have to turn, uh, we have to kind of uh, uh, turn away from having um, desire and aversion towards the world. And the word for world is loka. What's very interesting about the Buddha's teachings is that the word loka, that in this case is used the external world, desire and aversion for the world, is also used sometimes explicitly to refer that to the world of our body, the world of our senses, the world that's right here. And the world that we actually can have contact with is always through the contact in our body, through our body, and kind of in some ways the whole world that as we know it occurs in our senses and uh, you know how we experience everything. So he had this kind of uh, rever- uh, kind of this, uh, shifting way in which the Buddha talked about loka world. Sometimes he talked about the external world, and sometimes the internal, wor- the world of you know who we are. And um, Now, if we go through our external world and pay notice what people are doing, it's a lot of people are not really connected to their world. I mean, they're connected to their phone and, and to that world of the World Wide Web. They're connected to their fantasies and dreams and ideas about the past and the future. And it's very easy to go through the world and be disconnected. I have friends who a uh, little bit lament that uh, what a difference it is nowadays to walk through the cities and towns. And, uh, and there's much, much less contact between people than you're used to. Partly because people are looking at their phones. When you go, you know, it's interesting to go in different places where people would have some kind of contact with each other. And they're all kind of alone, looking at their device. It's kind of remarkable. Coffee shops used to be a place people went to hang out together. And we walked by the win- big window of Starbucks recently. And there was a lot of people not together. It was full. But it, it was hard to find people who were together. And they all had their computer and their device and kind of like a solitary world, connecting to that world through electronics. So, and even in the ancient world, people talked about 
teachers talked about people being asleep and not connected to the world. So the practice of mindfulness is a practice of beginning to connect to this world, certainly to the world of ourselves here, but also through that to be able to be connected more fully in the world. And it begins by understanding we have to give up a little bit, investing ourselves in wanting things in the world or wanting to get rid of something in the world. Those things can be useful, but it's not the way forward. The way forward, at least in the mindfulness practice, is to come into the world that's here, the world of us. And it begins then with a simple exercise on breathing to connect with ourselves. It's so hard to be connected and stop the busy mind. And many religious traditions focus on breathing as a way to do that. Breathe, come back to the breath, be with the breath. And then as we're, as we're kind of meditating on the breath, uh, become a heightened sensitivity to this body, this world that's the body, this body which is our world, and then to relax it, to soften. When people are disconnected from the world, they tend to also be disconnected from themselves. And so to begin waking up the body, and then learning how to be connected directly to the world through our senses. And this process of waking up and feeling our senses alive and feeling connected to the inner world and the outer world is a wonderful process. Some people uh, marvel at how well this goes if they go on a residential meditation retreat. The sense of coming home and being connected to themselves and being in their body and then be able to walk out and look at... uh, anything, and just kind of marvel at what we're seeing, what we're touching, what we're eating, what we're encountering, and really feel the vividness of being alive now. It's so satisfying. And we lose it so quickly. Even though it might be intriguing to be in the electronic world, there is a loss of a different kind of connection to the world that goes on there. So this satipatthana, this uh, practice of mindfulness, is very importantly a practice of reconnecting to ourselves and through through being connected to ourselves have the capacity then to have present moment connection to the physical sense world around us. After this exercise in breathing, what I talked about last week, there are these two exercises in being attentive to what you're actually what you're actually doing. It's kind of a radical idea uh, that you have being heightened sensitivity that to the fact that you're sitting or standing or walking or lying down, um, and then heightened sensitivity to uh, the different activities, to eating, to picking something up, to putting on your clothes, to showering, to using the bathroom to use those as times to connect, to be present. Uh, you don't have, no one has to raise their hands, but I wonder, you know, it used to be that people had um, these magazine racks next to their toilets. If you're old enough, you remember those magazine racks. I haven't seen a magazine rack in a bathroom in a very long time. So the question is, what are people reading? <laughs> and on what are they reading? So, you know, this is why no one has to raise their hands, but how many of you read your phone 
sitting on the toilet. Is that like taken, taken over? So that's nice. It's probably comfortable and you kind of helps and you're waiting for things, something to happen. But, um, but uh, the Buddha wouldn't have done that. That was a time to be mindful, to be present. For the Buddha, everything we're doing was a time to be present, to be connected, to wake up. And maybe he had it a lot easier because he lived 2,500 years ago. And life was a lot simpler, supposedly. And so it was, it was more natural, you know, to be present and attentive. Even so, he felt the need to teach this long text uh, to help people get more connected. So now we come to the fourth exercise, which is uh, uh, it's, it's a exercise on paying attention or noticing or reflecting on body parts. And the question is, what is it that reflecting on different body parts, how does that support us to wake up, to be here, to be attentive, and to begin cultivating this heightened sense of present moment awareness that for the Buddha leads to liberation, leads to the freedom from clinging, leads to the ability to be independent from all the kind of ways in which we get sticky to the world. So this idea of the body parts is interesting. Um, uh, the, the verb for what the exercise involves is um, to reflect or to review, some uh, translators trans, uh, translate it. So it's actually a, a more cognitive process than pure awareness. Because, and you'll see as we go through it that some of this you know, has to be done as a kind of review or a kind of contemplation or kind of imagining in order for this to work. It's to uh, review or contemplate or focus on 31 different body parts systematically, one after the other. This is uh, such an important exercise in, in, in Theravadan Buddhism that um, it's, the, it's the, many times the first exercise, meditation exercise, that are given to monastics when they're ordained. They get ordained and say, here, here's, what, here's your first practice. Contemplate these 31 parts of the body. And uh, I've known people who spent years, uh, there's a wonderful teacher in Santa Cruz, Vipassana teacher named Bob Stahl, and uh, he's been doing this 31 parts of the body. Actually, for him, it's 32 uh, parts of the body meditation for about 40 years, almost 40 years now. He's been teaching it for 26 years. And um, he's a friend. I don't see him that often. But at, um, we see each other at least once a year because it turns out that he brings his, he has a class that teaches people this meditation on the 32 parts of the body. And halfway through the year, it's a year-long class, he takes people to the community college in Santa Cruz to the anatomy lab to see the human bodies that have been cut open for the anatomy students to study in. The same evening that I bring the chaplaincy students there. So we overlap and and for kind of different purposes. And he takes the students so they can really go inside a body, see a real physical human body, it's been cut open, and see the spleen and the lungs and the stomach and the intestines, all these things that are part of the piece, of the, what the person is reviewing. And I bring uh, chaplaincy students, because chaplaincy people I have to become um, comfortable with death. They have to be familiar with it, because people who are offering spiritual care like chaplains will end up being with people who are dying 
and will be sometimes the, the primary caregivers of the situation when people have died. And so to be able to enter into the world of dying and be familiar with it in all kinds of ways uh, and their relationship to it all is a very important part of their practice. So Bob Stahl and I, we can, our two groups kind of meet at the anatomy lab and once a year. It's kind of a wonderful thing. And um, so the body, the body parts. So some people uh, in this world of ours, it happens from time to time, are actually already very focused on body parts. Uh, Many people are very focused on physical looks and attractive looks or not attractive looks or whatever kind of looks there you know and people are concerned with their own looks the physical appearance of people is a hugely big deal for many human beings people spend an inordinate amount of time i mean the number of beauty salons in downtown redwood city i'm just amazed maybe you know maybe i like i belong to a different world you know the present moment i don't go notice these things but i'm amazed at all these beauty salons down there there must be a lot of money being spent at beauty, beauty salons. And um, so, you know, looks, the hair is a body part. The face is a body part. Skin is a body part. Uh, and then we talk, then there's uh, pornography, right? I mean, probably none of you, but it's a big deal in our society. Body parts. Sex. Few people think about sex. Body parts. Body parts are a big deal in our society. And people do a lot, cause a lot of suffering around focusing on body parts and thinking about body parts and criticizing body parts and feeling they have the wrong body parts. And the whole body part thing is a kind of a mess for many people. Not everyone, luckily. But, you know, 98% of us is a high percentage. And uh, it's very sad what people do to themselves. And it's a way of being connected to the body parts, but it's also a way of being very disconnected from ourselves. It's very easy, it's kind of like being, you know, some people say skin deep, or just be on the surface of things. And the more people fantasize and think about, you know, skin and hair and body parts, the more we're kind of more connected to, not to the depth of life and depth of who the people are, but kind of just a surface appearance of things. It's not a particularly, deep spiritual way of being connected to the world or to ourselves. It's not a liberating uh, path if that's where we're primarily focused on. So with that as a reference point, people are already doing body part contemplation, reviewing. The Buddha does it too. But he does it for a very different purpose. Exactly what the purpose is, the text doesn't say, except it's a... uh, you know, uh, it's in the context of a text that wants people to develop a heightened sense of present moment awareness. So is there something about contemplating the body uh, in a deep way that heightens present moment awareness? For the monks who uh, are monastics who are taught it after they're ordained, it's partly taught as a concentration practice. And they memorize the 31 words for different parts. And it's not exactly like a mantra, but it is kind of like a guide to stay focused, stay focused, stay focused. Head here, body here, skin, flesh, bones, marrow. They just go through all these things. And each time they say a word, they visualize it or imagine it or feel it the best they can. 
And it's a way they get very, very concentrated. It's, but it's not just a concentration practice. There's something about the contemplation of the body that changes our relationship to the present moment, which is what I see when I bring my chaplaincy students to uh, the anatomy lab. It's quite something to see the reverence, the care, the silence, the attention, the focus, the concentration that people have when they have a chance to be introduced, sometimes for the first time ever, to um, the gift that someone has made of their body. They're all always gifted, these bodies, gifted for this purpose. And when we're taken into the anatomy lab, the anatomist talks about this as a gift and how we're going in with reverence, with care and gratitude for what we're being, being offered a chance to do. And then with the most respectful kind of way, the, these bodies are opened up. They're, they've been uh, cut open. And we get to look at hearts and lungs and spleens and intestines and diaphragms. And it's fascinating to see. And the students get very focused, very concentrated. Last time we went, a few weeks ago, uh, there were four different bodies on the beds that we're looking at. And, um, and then, um, you know, we were studying parts and studying all this. And then it was time to leave. And I said, let's, before we leave, let's all just stand here in silence for a while. I'd respect for these gifts, for these people in this event, and kind of meditate and be present. So we stood silently for about two minutes or so. And just, uh, I think most people had their eyes open, just sit very, very still, a whole different atmosphere descended on the room. And then I was inspired, and this came out of me. Um, these are people that were training to offer spiritual care in a way that's in, in hospitals and places are called chaplains. And I said, what is, not in, what, what, we, what is not present in these bodies is the domain of chaplaincy, is a domain of spiritual care. What's not in these bodies, these, these corpses, that's the domain of spiritual care. And what is it that's not in these bodies? What is it that animates it, the consciousness and the vitality? What is that? And, you know, and to have it gone. You know, so that, that you know, present absence of this consciousness and vitality, what is that? And to feel that, and then to feel it in ourselves, well, I still have it. <laughs> right now we're conscious. Right now there's a vitality. It's in a blink of the eye in terms of, you know, cosmic time. But this is the time that we have to be aware. This amazing, precious thing to, to be aware, to be attentive, to know we're alive. Not to be lost in Facebook. Here and alive. So the Buddha talks about this, uh, this reviewing. These, he has 31 parts that he lists. And it starts on the surface and some writers talk about how it starts from the surface and then it goes in deeper and deeper and deeper. And uh, it's kind of a path or journey to get us in really connected here and, and attentive, maybe. So I'll read it to you, and uh, these 31 parts. And maybe you can imagine what it's like to, um, you might even close your eyes, to uh, actually, well, let's do it a little differently. Let's do a little exercise. Uh, so, um, 
So first, we'll do an exercise that I like, which is um, with your hand. So kind of look at one of your hands. And, um, and you, some of you have had a long history together. <laughs> and uh, you might have had all kinds of thoughts about your hands, that their fingers are too short, they're too long, they're too stubby, they're too thin. The hand is maybe too wrinkled, or it's too this or that. Or maybe your hand's never been thought about and it's just your hand. Um, so you can ha- you, know, you have a relationship with your th- hand, you can think about it. Now, close your eyes, and with your eyes closed, feel that hand. Feel the sensations of the hand. F- feel the sensations in the back of the hand the palm of the hand, the fingers. Feel the tingling and the warmth and the coolness, the vibration, the hardness and the softness, the weight, heavy or light. Maybe there's little movements that you can feel And if you hold your hands really still, to just feel, just sense. With the idea that you're gonna feel, sense, the body's, the hand's experience of itself. Not your idea of it, not your history with it, your concepts of it, your judgments of it, but how does the hand experience itself? If you're really quiet, the hand doesn't even feel like it's a hand. It just feels tingling and warm and cold and tautness, tightness, looseness, heavy. All these sensations are swirling around, jumping around, moving around. It's a very different relationship. Open your eyes. So there's a very different relationship, the relationship between the thoughts, ideas we have about, and judgments we might have about something like a hand, and feeling it directly for itself. So in this regard, you have all kinds of ideas about yourself, your body, who you are, your body's to this, to that, not enough this, not enough that. So all kinds of ideas people have, you know, their bodies. But what's, but what if we, deconstruct a little bit and step away from the thoughts and ideas, judgments we have, the grand picture we have, the idea we have of the body, the concepts. What if we step away from all those and really allow ourselves to connect in a deeper way, from the, almost like from the inside out, for the body itself? So now close your eyes again. <clears throat> And I'll read this passage slowly. And as we get to these 31 parts of the body, kind of like you did for the hand, but maybe with some imagination, some ability, kind of imagine or feel or sense this particular body part in and of itself, as if it stands alone, just its experience of it, the reality of it by itself standing out in the highlight. And the Buddha said, 
A practitioner reviews the body from the soles of the feet, from the soles of the feet all the way to the top of the hair, held together by skin. It is filled with many kinds of unappetizing parts. This body, in this body, there are head hairs. Hairs of the head. Hairs of the body. Nails. Teeth. Skin. Flesh. Sinews. Bones. Bone marrow. Kidneys. Heart. Liver. Diaphragm. Spleen. Lungs. Large intestines, small intestines, stomach, and the contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus. Blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, and urine. Before you open your eyes, what is it to contemplate, to consider the body from this point of view? That it's made up of many different parts. And what would you, what you, could you imagine would be like to every day to spend a period of time really connecting and reviewing and reflecting that this is what makes up the body. What impact do you think that might have on you? Okay, so you can open your eyes. So, um, so that's the simple exercise that Buddha gives. Review, it's called reviewing the 31 parts of the body. And he doesn't really explain here too much about why to do this or what the purpose is. But now that we've kind of done this little exercise, 
What do you think some of the useful purposes are of spending time reviewing these these body parts or just going through them? And could you anything that happened to you here that you can imagine points to some benefit from doing this? Um, when I was doing it, I just thought that um, my mind, I, I sometimes think of my mind and body as a sort of entangled singular piece. And I guess what went through my mind is that I, I'm i not aware of a lot of my body. <laughs> that my mind only extends through a very few parts. It has a very superficial idea of the body. Uh-huh. So it filled it out. Yeah, or it simplifies it. Simplifies it. kind it. of covers over parts of, you know, it, it, huh? the, I think my mind thinks it's in touch with the body, but it actually is very ignorant of, of, all, uh-huh. the, of all of the parts of the body. Someone else, please. has a humbling effect. Thank you. A humbling effect. I think it begins to point to the fact that we're um, often made up of different pieces and that we're not just a single whole thing. So, so it deconstructs the idea that we're just not a singularity but we're made up of all these different parts. Uh-huh. And what do you think the advantage is to realize we're made up of many parts rather than one single thing? Well, I think ultimately it points towards anatta and the realization that um, our concept of self is not a um, single coherent entity, but rather it's a collection of different parts and systems that work together. So you're suggesting it's very easy to have a singular idea of who we are and we're kind of, which is often a concept or idea, and that it's interesting to uh, break that singular idea apart and see that we're actually made up of, we're constructed of all kinds of little different parts. So, in the back corner. You know, one of the important goals is uh, detachment, and so it helps us detach by, by trying to investigate the body in terms of where the attachments might be. So you notice. So you, by going, going through the body, you start, you start noting where, notice where you where you get stuck, where the attachments are. Yeah, you might be, for are. instance, very much uh-huh. uh, about appearances. Say you might be like really attached to your face. Mm-hmm. Great. And I think Ananda has something about that. He says that it's a very important exercise to do because it uh, helps liberate. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, great. It helps liberate. So is the other mic there close by? Oh, it's over on the stage. Let's can we get bring it over here, all the way. Well, first I was um, really I was thinking about those corpses and and how without, as you said, without the animation, without the the spirit, we're we're kind of just piles of flesh and meat and everything. But when when you were doing the when I was listening to the 31 parts and really thinking about each part and realizing, well, right now, each and every one of those parts has is embodying some of that animation, some of that spirit. And I was realizing, I don't often, you know, think about 
is my spleen talking to me today? You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I definitely, you know, work on my hair. You know, but I, <laughs> not too well. But, <laughs> but I, I don't. I realized, oh my gosh, there's probably all kinds of messages that are um, within me and in all those body parts that that uh, it made me want to, you know, kind of say hello to say hello to my liver more, or my. Uh-huh. <laughs> gallbladder oh that one's gone anyway some of them you know so, so, so it sounds like sounds like a, a wonderful appreciation of this yeah I, I enjoyed that very much ah, nice nice okay so um, so I believe that one of these purposes of this exercise that uh, Taylor was kind of pointing to is that uh, it's one of those ways that we can uh, cut through the abstract concepts we live in. And we live a lo- in a lot of abstra- ab- abstract concepts about ourselves as, as who we are singularities and we're caught, up, we're caught up in, you know, prettying it up, prettying up or defending or doing something with this singular thing we think we are. And, um, and it, sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's reasonable enough but uh, sometimes it's living in a world of it's very superficial or even delusion to live in it. And it's okay sometimes, from time to time, to be superficial and deluded. It's not like a sin. It's like a crime in Buddhism. Um, but uh, it's not so connected. It's not connected in some kind of deeper way. And so if we want to kind of wake up and really feel and be attentive and be present, it helps to be able to cut through some of the delusions and preoccupations that we have. And, that, and one of the preoccupations we have is um, uh, the attractive, att- attractiveness of the body. The preoccupa- preoccupation with the body is so attractive and, and the strong desire for sensuality, sensual pleasure that comes around, you know, bodies. And that's the classic, at least in the tradition, the classic, one of the classic reasons for this meditation is, um, to, uh, is to cut through excessive fixation on sensual pleasure, physical pleasure, that young monastics might have. And uh, and so here the w- the word here that's uh, I, I translated as unattractive um, in Bikabodhi's translation he calls it um, foul. Um, review the body as full of many kinds of oh he uses impurity here of um, impurity thus. And um, so you know. Not many people. A lot of people in the West don't want to consider that their body and body parts are impure. It's kind of like that doesn't quite compute or works right. Um, the, um, the 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 word that's a synonym for this is non-beautiful. And you know maybe that works a teeny bit better. But uh, when they did a colonoscopy, I got to watch you know TV monitor, and and I thought it was quite beautiful in there. <laughs> it was all clean and shiny. It was like looking at. I thought it was like, wow, this is like looking in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I was kind of in awe. <laughs> so, um, and so that you know, this idea of you know, non-beautiful doesn't work either. But um, but so that's why I come up with this idea of um, unappetizing. 
you know, some of these things, mucus and urine, urine and contents of your stomach, you know, you know. So, uh, so that's one of the classic uses of, of this kind of meditation is to, um, if, uh, if people are excessively preoccupied with uh, sex and that kind of physical pleasure, uh, the theory is that this is supposed to kind of cut through that. And, um, and so you can try it if it ever becomes an issue and see what it does for you. Uh, it, but I think it has a lot of different functions to do this. And one of the functions uh, is what we talked about already is starting to break down the gross or the, the general concepts we tend to live in. And, uh, and so this is, by, you know, seeing the body is not just a singularity, but it's also made up of all these parts. And to be able to cons- consider each part in its own kind of by itself is emphasized by the simile that this text then gives. And um, here's a simile for it, for this. Um, just so when we use the, all these different parts of the body, just as uh, there were a bag with an opening at both ends, so it's kind of like the bo- human body open at both ends, um, a body open at both ends with many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, and a person with good eyes were to open the bag and review it thus. This is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice. So before you open the bag, it just feels inside, just feels like a lot of seeds, I suppose. But if you look in it, each of those different pieces of grain is distinct for itself, and you see them as being their own thing. So with that kind of clarity, and to distinguish each of these body parts is part of this exercise. In the teachings on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, this classic text that uh, I'm going through slowly, uh, there are 13 exercises for cultivating this heightened awareness. And... Um, and generally, most teachers will pick a few of these exercises to focus on. Most teachers that I know, this is their least popular one, the one that's discussed the least. And, uh, and certainly for me also as a teacher, I, don't th- I think I've talked about this very, very little, and I've done very little of this practice for myself, so not something I speak, speak with with a lot of experience. But as we go through the text, I thought it was interesting to go through this piece as well and see what it says. And then we'll see uh, next time, I guess next Monday, that uh, it, uh, the text moves on to uh, another different way of, uh, of breaking through the uniformity or the singularity of the body and being able to deconstruct it to, down to the building blocks of our experience. And, um, and there's something about... Uh, being able to kind of drop out of the concepts and ideas and get down to the kind of building blocks of how our senses pick up our experience before it begins creating its concepts. That's very powerful. And, uh, and the essence of Vipassana practice, in, especially in Burma, the way it's taught there, has to do with this next exercise we're going to do on the, what's called the four elements. And uh, so whereas this one is kind of not very popular, as far as I know, in much of the world, um, doesn't, you know, of all these exercises, probably one of the least popular. 
Um, the next one is actually sometimes one of the more popular ones. And we'll do that, I think, next week. So, um, so care for yourself and be more connected to your world inside. Your world is precious. You have this world of yourself for only a few short years. Be there. And the wonderful thing is that if you really become grounded and centered and aware and awake in your body, it's magical the connection you have the world around you. And it's so much richer to be connected and alive in a three-dimensional world than it is to be in the two-dimensional world of your device. Spend more time in the three-dimensional world. It's a great thing. Thank you.